Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. again and welcome back to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for you, tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Emma Azon-Giacometti and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in Tasmania. And if you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, we want to extend a really warm welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and you enjoy today's episode... Remember, there are now over 80 Talking Tourism conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can jump onto our website, tict.com.au, and stream them from there. Now, we're going to get into today's conversation with Maddie Sieber-Petey. She's the event manager at a few events, Farmgate Market, Street Eats at Franco, as well as Food and Beverage Collective. Maddie, welcome. Hello, Emma. How are you? So good. It's so good to have you here. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You did indeed. Amazing. Ten points. <laughs> good start. <laughs> and and I reeled off a, a pretty amazing credentials list there. Mm. Did, did we cover off on all the things that you do? You did indeed, although we will add one more in the new year. All right. More can can you that. tell us about that or that's TBC? <laughs> no, no. We'll keep that one under wraps at the moment. All right. Good to know. A top secret coming. Uh, we'll, we'll keep our ears out. Um, we're really interested to talk to you, Maddie, because uh, we're, we're sort of still in this this season 18 months down the track from mm. lockdown where there are obviously still some really incredible challenges and implications of COVID-19 to Tasmania's tourism industry, regardless of whether we're in lockdown, uh, the mm-hmm. interstate, interstate market, I should say, is um, at times largely closed to us and certainly still mm. pre- presenting a lot of challenges. And as an event manager of a number of markets and events, um, mm. I, I'd really love to, to have your perspective perspective and and hear how the markets and and events that that you run and that you represent have been impacted Mm. by the last 18 months of disruption? It's been um, tough. So if anyone's working in mass gatherings at the moment, um, you know, my heart goes out to them Mm. because you do have that um, sort of added complexity or level of risk because you are dealing with, you know, across our two event platforms being Farmgate and Franco, we see upwards of 10,000 people through our gates in a week. Mm. Um, And, of course, that increases the risk. So I guess we were really fortunate that we had a portfolio um, of events when we started. And, you know, Farmgate Market is largely local focused with a breakdown of sort of 70% locals and 30% visitors. So Mm -hmm. we were also really fortunate that our core business is, you know, delivering an, an essential shopping service. Yes. And so we were able to trade through stage three. It was probably one of the most difficult phases of my um, event management history. I've been working in the industry for 16 years now. It was incredibly stressful, you know, particularly for the staff. Um, so so we've been affected. So as, yeah, so we have Farmgate Market, Street Eats at Franco and Food and Beverage Collective, which services the business events Tasmania sector. Yes. Um, we um, produce large scale indoor street food markets for conference dinners. So that was 100% interstate focused 
Um, Franco is the breakdown is about 50-50 or 60-40, so leading more towards locals, but that was affected. And so March the 13th last year, we cancelled Franco because it was raining quite heavily. Mm -hmm. um, little did we know that we were actually closing it for good. Wow. Um, and we didn't know, yeah, when that would start up again. So we lost 85% of revenue overnight. Wow. <laughs> which was really scary. Um, and we didn't know if um, Farmgate Market would be able to operate um, the state government. We don't have a lot of farmers markets in Tasmania. Mm. There are certainly, you know, a, a large amount in Victoria and their premier was very supportive um, from the get-go mm. um, because it is such an important industry. So we worked our way through that. Um, we stripped elements out of Farmgate Market, which meant that we could operate. Um, so the cooked food, plants and those types of things um, and with the support of council um, and indeed public health who are really um, great in supporting us in the development of our COVID safe plan too because remember back then there was no event framework that we have mm. now. That was six months down the track. So, yeah, mass gatherings is a terrible industry to work in yeah. um, during COVID but we're still 50% down but we consider ourselves lucky we're 50% up from where most of our industry is globally. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, so um, we had two conference dinners booked in September and October, our first in 18 months, and they've just been moved to February next year. Is that because they're coming from a state that can no longer travel? That's right. Right, <laughs> yeah. okay. So so since last March, has Food and Beverage Collective, the um, business events uh, operation yeah. that you run, has that done mm. any business at all? We have done zero business. So what yeah. does that mean for, I guess there's a supply chain and there's staff involved there as well. I mean, you yeah. mentioned, you used the word stress earlier. I think it's it's probably yeah. something even bigger than that. How How's that impacted mm. you and the people that you work with? Yeah, so we're really, we're in a fortunate, well, not actually, I won't say fortunate because, you know, it's come at the expense of casual staff. Our staffing levels expand and contract operationally. So the more events we're running, the more staff we have. So sure. we, we operated with a core team of three and a half, 3.5 full time. We're now down to two. Wow. So that's 50% of our core team gone, yeah. um, which I guess reflects, you know, 50% loss in revenue. We're really fortunate that our food curator wanted to go to university. So that was great. Okay. Um, and I was really upfront with my team from the get go. And I said, listen, this is before JobKeeper. I, you know, don't know what stability or job security I can give you. So our, you know, permanent part-timer um, found another job, which is really great. Um, and then thanks to JobKeeper, we were able to keep the rest of the team on. So we're operating now with about 10 casuals, um, down from probably 20, 25 or at okay. full capacity. Yeah. 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 You, mm. I, I want to go back to a statement that you made earlier around mm. uh, being 50% down. I think you're, you're mm. specifically talking about Farmgate Market there, are you, Maddie? No, across the board. So PD sure. Events is the company. Yeah, so this is across the board, across our three event platforms. Farmgate Market is still going really strong. That hasn't been affected now. It was during Stage 3 lockdown. Yeah. Um, and we're operating under a level one um, uh, event plan, which is great because we don't have that interstate visitation to push us over the numbers. So it's right. a thousand on site at any one time. Yeah, okay. So Farmgate's fine. Franco, and again, this is one of the questions further down, you know, um, profitability in mass gatherings is, is volume based. Mm. So we invested in the brand last year at Franco. There was no profit. But it's not just about the profitability of our company, it's the profitability of all the small businesses That's that right. we work with. 
the musicians. You know, we're facing a season ahead of Franco where we've lost a lot of our musicians. They've gone to get, you know, in inverted commas, real jobs. <laughs> um, so it's actually had a really detrimental effect, not just, you know, downstream as well. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So Franco for us was about also, yeah, it was about not having to start at ground zero again, you know, if indeed COVID, um, you know, the, the panacea was the vaccine. Um, so last year was really important for us to do from a camaraderie and morale perspective as well. And so, how did you see the interstate market um, respond to that? The intrastate or yeah, inter? Yeah, intra, because I guess that was who you were largely depending on to, to get around it. For Franco? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so big local uptake, big local support. A lot, we still did see interstate visitors. They would sort of come in in those windows of opportunity, you know. I remember yeah. um, we had a whole bunch of Victorians and they all came with their, they'd come down here to, I think it was to go to the Red Hot Summer Tour and they all entered with their chairs, <laughs> <laughs> which is go. really gorgeous. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of appeal um, for interstate visitors for Franco. That's certainly the destination they'll go to. So, I mean, look, we were capped on numbers anyway, mm. you know, um, sort of 1,600, 1,500 on site at any one time. Um, you know, go back pre-COVID, you were talking sort of three, 4,000 on site sure. at any one time. So we just reduced the number of producers that were on site and then we dropped a bar as well just to, you know, match um, foot traffic through. Yeah, okay. And and have you had to change anything around the offering at these markets or events to appeal more to the market that you're really largely dependent on, which is your locals in Hobart? No, not at all, actually. No, no, we didn't. So Farmgate Market, you know, it is about doing your weekly shopping. Yeah. We've always ha had three really strict principles and we're lucky now that, you know, one of them is if you can't eat it, can't drink it, can't grow it, you can't sell it. Okay. So therefore, when stage three restrictions hit, it was like, right, you're an essential, you know, shopping service, food service. And that was really great for us. Um, you know, the product offering at Franco is really um, broadly appealing to anybody who comes, be mm. it families or, and that was thanks to the great work of our food curator at that time. Um, so, so no, we haven't had to change the product offering around. We've had to change our systems and processes in terms of, okay, no long queues at Franco anymore. So mm. we want to see you guys curate your menus so that the food is still fresh, but it's coming out no more than 15 minutes from ordering um, so those types of things are really fascinating to work through. Yeah, and you never um, would have expected to have to work through them, I suppose. No, not at all. And and again, you know, writing a COVID safe plan before there was any, you know, events Tasmania framework. Yeah, was so, a really really good lesson for yeah. us. Yeah, can you talk us through that process? Was that down to you to write that plan? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and what did you have to go off to to make that happen yeah. and and to be okay to operate? Yep. So, well, firstly, I will acknowledge our operations coordinator here, Joanna Sieber, in that she was just, you know, instrumental in getting all of our COVID safe plans off the ground. But firstly, we became um, public health directive stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they underpinned, they were like the fundamental principles of the COVID safe plan, you know, um, physical distancing, um, you know, hand hygiene, all this type of stuff. And then we Googled what was happening around the world because, of course, we were 12 months behind, six sure. months behind. So then we started to look at, okay, what operational procedures are other events putting in place? And then we just developed our own. Um, and 
there was a time there where the Premier was not happy that we were trading so um, with Farmgate. So it ended up that, um, thanks to the City of Hobart, they sent a public health officer to watch the way that we implemented, look at our plan and then just um, um, make sure that we we're adhering to it and they were really happy with it. And how did so, that feel, knowing that you had those eagle eyes on you and the the viability of the market <sighs> was dependent on what those eyes picked up? Well, it's funny. It was actually okay because we are used to operating in that environment anyway. Sure. I mean, you think about Franco, we're a fishbowl. You've got Treasury on one side, council <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. You know, we open and close the road ourselves for Farmgate Market. So everybody's always watching what we do because we're in the public you know, space. So you're used so to we're doing used things to right. Yeah. yeah. And we knew, we also knew and we felt very confident that our COVID safe plan um, was well thought out. Mm. At, but more importantly than that, it was well implemented and it was policed. Mm. And I think that is where some organisations fall over. It's all very well and good to have a COVID safe plan, but if you're not implementing it and ensuring that it's, that people are, you know, um, undertaking the processes, there's no point having a COVID safe plan. Yeah, it's true. So, Are you noticing any pushback from visitors though around that policing of, of the implementation of the plan? Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. And again, this comes back to that stress, the stresses I was talking about. We did doing. We did during st stage three. There were certain demographics that were not at all open mm. to um, complying um, and we were just really firm. And we said, you know, it's a condition of entry. If you're not going to comply, then we're going to have to ask you to leave. Which is a massive call to make when you're... It's huge. Yeah, yeah when, when your sort of viability, I suppose, is based on getting the volume yes. of people through through the gate. Yeah. yeah, particularly when we were under such scrutiny for, I think it was about six weeks, the, the Premier mentioned us in his press conferences every Sunday. <laughs> Would have liked that. So we're under an incredible amount of, you know, scrutiny. That is part and parcel of our job. Sure, yeah. I, I read somewhere that Farmgate moved to a drive-through model during lockdown. Did yes. that? Is that true? We did. Can you yep. tell us about that? Uh, it was amazing. So we we because we had lost eighty five percent of our business, it was really about right. What is our business continuation strategy? Mm -hmm. And because we have this wonderful street out here. Um, I think it was my husband said to me, well, why aren't you utilising the street? We didn't want to do home deliveries. That's not our core business. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to do it. The cost would have been exorbitant. Um, and so we came up with a model, which is a drive-through. And that was really our insurance, should we go to stage four? Or, sure. Or, so in the morning, we ran it as a hybrid. It was the physical market in the morning. Then we'd shut that down, close, keep the road closed. And then during the day, people would pick and pack and then come uh, 2 o'clock, cars would drive through, four, four in each lane, three abreast, sorry, pop their boots and we'd put their orders in the back of their boots. Amazing. And what was the reception to that? Oh, it was great. Cool. It was great. Yeah, you know, it was really good. And I guess what was really exciting too was we actually implemented our e-commerce platform in-house. Very we cool. We a third party yeah. Yeah, to build that. So that was really important for us and a really um, integral skill set that they, we then used to implement our own ticketing system for Franco. Okay. So, yeah, right. Quite a bit of innovation yeah. then going on, which I guess, again, you never would have expected you would have had to no. do, but in the moment, amazing the things that can come out. What do you think it is about 
your markets and and probably more generally the Tasmanian mm. market scene that has seen, I think you mentioned the statistics where you were 50% up on other similar markets around the world. Why is it that Tassie is in a better place? Oh, yeah. So just to clarify, not I. So not other markets globally. The industry of event management. Sure. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, certainly there's been a, an increase in support for starting Farmgate Market oh, almost twelve years ago. For me, was about you know creating those that sort of homegrown advocacy for what it is we you know we produce here in Tasmania, mm-hmm. and that really um, you know. That's that pride in, in sense of place and local people, and I think that the shortage of goods, um, you know, that you could find sort of in supermarkets, really got people thinking about food security and where it comes from. And and oh my goodness, what if we can't get our mangoes in from the US of A? Yeah. You know, I think that really sort of shocked people into action, and I think that certainly, you know, a lot of workplaces could have become fragmented um, during COVID because of the stress, mm. our workplace became stronger. Amazing. And the camaraderie and support, albeit with, you know, a lot of Zoom meetings and rosé, yeah. <laughs> Tasmanian rosé, <laughs> it just really brought us closer together. And I think that's kind of what happened in Tasmania as a whole and that support local, it became a thing that's that people good. had just probably taken for granted. And it's really important. That's what Farmgate's always been about. You know, Franco, even our food and beverage collective, the core ingredient is Tasmanian. Yeah. So for us it was a no-brainer, but it kind of woke up, other people kind of woke up, which is great. It is. And do you think it will continue once once we don't have to? Um, I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. I hope that we don't become complacent again. Mm. Um and I think that, yes, I think it will be, I think it will definitely be there. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really lovely to know that there have been some great positives that have come out of a really dark, challenging time for yeah. Tasmania's tourism industry, for tourism industries all around the world as well. Um, mm. What do you sort of see looking forward to the future? What What is this all going to mean for the the industry that you specifically sit in around markets and yeah. events? What What's next? So I've been watching, you know, I think this, I think the industry will change for the short term. So the risk is, you know, the risk is too big when you rely so much on interstate Mm. visitation. Um, And, but again, it's a volume, it's a numbers game. It's a volume thing and that's why we do it. So, I mean, we are lucky, as I said, we have a portfolio and we've always been about small bespoke events. Yeah. so that is going to have to change. And, you know, I alluded to the fact that we're starting a new event next year and and I'd just like to say it's not food and it's not wine. Interesting. Okay. Um, and it's something that nobody else is doing and we have the big enough demographic in Tasmania to get the volume through, still working within a COVID safe plan. Okay. So I think it's thinking outside of the square and mm. looking at how we can service our local market. Yep. Yeah, well, um, I think a lot of operators, if not all of them, have had to ask that question. How can we yeah. service a local market? And if we can't, well, then what do we do instead? Because there really is no That's other option. Right. It's obviously going to be important, though, for us to be ready and, and raring yeah. to, to welcome visitors back to the state and to be able to That's provide right. a great product then as well. I think also, too, and it's not just about, you know, wholly and solely servicing a local demographic. It's like 
you know, the interstate visitation is a bonus. It's the cream on top. Yeah, you know, sure. It's having a model that would really attract those guys as well should the borders be open, but still being able to have a profitable business model without that without for the them. interim. Yeah. yeah. And still, you know, honing your skills because, you know, you, if, you, if you don't operate an event for a couple of years, you kind of – you're not event ready, yeah, <laughs> physically and mentally, because they are. It's both physically and mentally challenging the events industry. So it'll be fascinating to see. I do watch with interest um, what is happening, particularly overseas. I mean, they've been trialling large-scale mass gatherings again, mm -hmm. events um, using various, um, you know, systems of testing and COVID passports. So be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all watching with bated breath. And I think you make a great point that if we've got a product that's attractive and exciting to our locals, then why wouldn't it be mm. to tourists as that's they come right. in as well? So, so yeah, they're just the cream. Well, thank you so much, Maddie. We've um, covered some nice. really great ground around a topic that I don't think we've talked about a great deal and, and really interesting to get your perspective. So thank you. We might jump into the big seven, which is how we end <laughs> every episode of the podcast. And I know you were particularly excited to answer these, so I'm, I'm expecting some, some great answers and I imagine Rosé is going to come up again. But let's start with your favourite spot in Tassie and tell us why. Okay, so this is a very hard one. I've been lucky to have travelled the whole world several times and Tasmania, so it was really hard. But um, I have picked Edge of the World at Arthur River. Amazing, at why? At the entrance to the Tarkine. It is majestic. It's magical. There's something really spiritual about it. Mm -hmm. And I was just Googling it before and I didn't know this, but it's the start of the longest stretch of ocean in the world. Nor did I. Amazing. Hot yeah, tips with is. Maddie. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Fast facts. Cool. Well, you mentioned you've um, travelled the world a couple of times. This is going to make mm. the next question probably even harder. What's your yes. favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Well, so again, too hard. So I've picked two. Okay, it's so all right. We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so India, um, anywhere in India, Varanasi probably, and then the outback of Australia. Beautiful. About 1100. Yeah, there's this particular latitude and I don't know what it is, but it's sort of where Alice Springs is and then into WA. It's again, magical and spiritual. Awesome. Sounds it. All right. What if someone's coming to Tasmania for the first time in their lives? They ask you, what's the one thing they absolutely must experience? What are you going to tell them? Okay, this might sound really daggy. The Fairy Penguin March in Bishano. Which I recently experienced with my two daughters and it was one of the best nights I've had. And I, I don't know about this. Are they literally marching? Yeah, well, they, yeah, they're kind of like marching out of the water. Cute. Yeah, and they're really definite. This is where I'm going. Get out of my way. It's <laughs> one of the most beautiful things to watch this little penguin head pop up out of the water and then waddle up the beach. Oh, and I don't think that's daggy. I think that's gorgeous. Ah, that's that's a great tip. What if you were walking the overland track for five yep. days? You get to take three people with you and they're anyone in the world, famous or not, living or dead. Yep. Who are they and why? Okay, so one of them is my bestie, the guru. I've done that walk with her and she's, she's a listening. legend. Good. Yeah, oh, I'll make her listen. Uh, now this is Joanna Lumley. Hmm. She is amazing. No one travels like her. And then the third one is my dad. Oh, lovely. Can you tell us why mm. for Joanna and your dad? Uh, so Joanna, she does those great travel shows in India. Yeah, she she's probably just knows Yeah. She's funny, you know. We yeah, I'm not exotic at all, so we need a little <laughs> bit of that on the trip. And dad because dad, you know, dad was taking me walking when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. 
um, and he's a good man. Yeah, beautiful. All right, I hope he's listening as well. What about if you're road tripping around Tassie? What are you listening to in the car? Yep, so sorry, Jen Wise, I'm listening to classic Aussie pub rock. Love it. Sorry to no one. This is a great lead into what happens at the end. When you arrive at your destination, maybe you're going to hit the pub. What are you going to have to drink? So sorry, again, I had to have two. And one, I'm starting with a Milton Rosé. Lovely. Peppery little number. And then I'm on to the Negronis. Yeah, double parked. Love it. Very good. Do you Mm. want to give us anything more specific about the classic Aussie pub rock? That's probably important to maybe a top three. Oh, as okay. Well, I'm listening to Powderfinger. Good. I'm definitely listening listening to old school cold chisel. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, what else? Oh, nope, can't. That, too that's many. Pretty good though, thank you. Um mm-hmm. we're gonna move on to the last question. It's it's yeah. a big one, the big debate. Yep. It's about curry Tasmanian scallops. So Maddie, are yep. they a culinary delight or a culinary crime? Um, so well, I don't eat seafood really so I'm just going to go I'm basing this on my husband and I say curried scallops are to Tassie what bonoffi pies to the UK it's an iconic dish it doesn't really answer the question but it's probably oh. one of the best answers I've ever heard because... it's a culinary delight all right okay cool don't know that bonoffi pie is that either but thank you so much to your husband that's some good input <laughs> and thank you so much for for your conversation oh, with you us much. today maddie and to our listeners thank you for listening to today's episode of talking tourism remember to subscribe so you can hear more episodes as we release them and tell a friend tell a colleague in the tourism industry so that they can check out our podcasts as well as we mentioned talking tourism is an initiative of tourism industry council tasmania with thanks to mac 40 media and i'm your host emma azon jacka we will catch up next time we chat tourism. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.